Majorino, Majorino, it's just better. And you know what else is better? Uh, Psychia Rose is the animal kingdom. Better than humanity. And something we're going to be talking about on today's episode of Mr. Goggle. <laughs> We are the You've heard of our dog psychic and our bird psychic. Now try our new and improved formula, our elephant psychic. Now with extra extraneous <laughs> details because your host is neurodivergent. <laughs> In order to discuss psychic elephants, which again I know is at the forefront of everyone's concerns right now, it's necessary to first talk a little bit about Dame Daphne Sheldrick. Known as Mama Elephant or the Queen of Elephants, Dame Daphne Sheldrick was born in 1934 in Kenya to British parents while Kenya was still a British colony. For more than four decades, Dame Daphne would devote her life to rescuing orphaned animals in East Africa and preparing them for return to the wild on her elephant orphanage near Nairobi, Kenya. An extraordinary conservationist, Dame Daphne is the first person to successfully hand-rear newborn elephants thanks in part to the formula she perfected to mimic a mother elephant's milk. And the way that she came about this path was basically that she married a guy who was doing work against poaching in game reserves in Kenya. And then eventually she divorced him and she ended up marrying his boss, David Sheldrick. And then she became the co-warden of Savo National Park. And she and her husband rescued orphan animals of all kinds always with the ultimate goal of reintegrating them into the wild. And the animals that they rescued included many species, including elephants, black rhinos, buffalo, zebras, elands, kudus, impalas, duickers, reedbuck, dictics, warthogs, civets, mongooses, and all kinds of birds. Before her work, orphaned elephants would usually die because they need 42 gallons of their mother's milk per week for the entire first two years of their lives in order to survive. Unfortunately, Good God! Yeah, it's insane. 
Like, where are they going to find that? You know, it's not like... Also, what is a dick dick? Really super adorable little deer-like creature that's, like, very tiny. I've never heard of that before. So cute. <laughs> so, so cute. Dick dick. Oh, they're like 40 their, gallons. They're like their name. <laughs> they're just they so, so adorable. Um, oh. So unfortunately... Oh my god! <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I know. I totally feel you on the big dick. It's, it's so adorable. <laughs> um, but we're talking about elephants. Unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> cow's milk and various substitutes for cow's milk don't really work for elephants because they can only digest certain types of fats. So usually the available milk would be cow's milk um, that people would try to use, and the babies would just wither and die. Additionally, oh. elephants will also die from grief if they feel alone or stressed or abandoned, and so it's crucial that they have consistent care from people they trust and also the company of other elephants, and also actually digestible milk in order to survive. Otherwise, they will succumb to malnourishment and loneliness really quickly. So Dame Daphne oh. is the first person to really figure all of this out and how to implement a system wherein the elephant orphans have digestible milk, which she made from a blend of things like Similac formula combined with coconut fat. So, like, really, like, requiring ingenuity to figure this stuff out. And then she also made sure that the elephants had a consistent team of keepers that they could depend on and recognize for, like, basically the entire first ten years of their lives. So, there's a nursery where the babies are cared for and protected, and then from there they would move on to rehabilitation stations where they can be kept safely in a stockade at night and fed and cared for and then they're gradually exposed to these wild communities of elephants who will come in and like teach the babies how to live in the wild gradually over the course of 40 years she and the keepers saved over 230 orphaned elephants during her lifetime um, wow. Something that I love about Dame Daphne is that she would always wear these like floral sundresses in light colors while she romped around in the mud with like baby elephants and she would <laughs> flip flops on and just like totally yes. annihilate this glamorous wardrobe and yet always made sure to dress that way anyway just because she liked it. And she was said to be very shy and meek and basically lived to support her husband's endeavors while he was alive, but then after he died, she was obviously revealed to be this person of, like, enormous strength and fortitude and determination, and she took over, and her work obviously was not easy. It came with a lot of heartache, because in order to save orphaned animals... Um, and to fight for conservation of wild territory, you have to be willing to stare the cruelty of poaching and habitat destruction right in the face. And she did that her whole life. So there's tremendous heartbreak that comes with that. But Dame Daphne is quoted as saying that elephants have taught me 
how to put the bad things behind, turn the page, and get on with living. Understanding the traumas that elephants have to put up with and how they cope with it has made me a stronger person. There is a really great video on YouTube of a talk she gave at a book release at the American Museum of Natural History in 2012, and it's titled Dame Daphne Sheldrick on Love, Life, and Elephants, and you can find it really easily. In that video, she speaks with so much passion and knowledge about elephants squeezed into every minute of the talk that it's almost difficult to keep up with her. Listening to her talk about elephants and listening to her answer questions about them, the heartwarming stories she has about witnessing the intimate lives of elephants that she's known is guaranteed to make your heart swell and bring a tear to your eye. So if you do go down that rabbit hole, be prepared to need a tissue. Yeah, that sounds really incredible. So I have a couple of quotes that I'd like to share from Dame Daphne that will take us into anecdotal evidence of telepathy in elephants. But first, I would like to highlight the fact that the keepers that are doing so much of this work at the rescue, in this case, are, of course, black men from Kenya. So let's take a moment to appreciate men in nurturing positions who are working to preserve and protect nature and you're here um Mm -hmm. when i visited the david sheldrick trust website i couldn't find any page featuring the men who are out on the land doing the brunt of this work which feels like weird to me and (laughs) there are like little smidgens of interviews with them here and there if you really dig in videos and things but not on the website which i think just goes to show how little credit overall service people are given um yeah you know whether that be in the food and beverage industry in the maintenance and cleaning type industries or even in zoology yeah that's i mean that sucks but that's also incredible but that sucks (laughs) that they're not getting any kind of recognition for their work but yes service things So, in her talk at the Natural Museum of History, Dame Daphne describes a lot of the inner workings of the nursery and the rehabilitation stations. She says, The most interesting part has been watching the reintegration process with these elephants. That has been very, very enlightening to me, and we've learned so much about them from the orphans. How highly intelligent they are, the communication they have. And some of the elephants are now grown and living in the wild. We've got 69 of them now living wild. And the ones that are ex-orphans, known as ex-orphans, the other ones that are still dependent are based in the stockades at night. But the communication that goes on between those ex-orphans and the ones that are still dependent has been very, very enlightening. And it's been a learning curve, and it absolutely blows your mind, because then you learn how extremely intelligent and how perceptive elephants are, and all sorts of mysterious abilities that they have. (music) 
She goes on to describe how the baby elephants would grieve the departure of their friends who are being moved to the rehab stations because they would think they had lost their family again. But later, they would display such joy when they themselves were moved to the rehab and they saw their friends again. Nobody cry yet because there's a lot more to get through. <laughs> Aww. Another quote is as follows. So our orphans have gradually grown up, and the ones that make the transition into the wild herd mingle in with the wild elephants quite naturally, but they look upon all the orphans as part of an extended family, and they'll come back and keep in touch with the ones that are still based at the rehabilitation stations. And then every now and then, one of the ones that are living wild will come back and select one that they think is ready for a night out, like a sleepover. And suddenly one that's going to have the sleepover won't want to come into the stockade at night, whereas usually they're rushing in there to get their milk and all the goodies that are waiting for them there. But instead it'll just stay out and then off they go out into the wild to join the ex-orphans who are waiting for them somewhere in the bush. But elephants are very, very, very fearful animals, and they're scared even of a dick-dick. So, on a first sleepover, if a lion is roaring nearby or something like that, the little one will get very scared, and then the matriarch, who's the oldest cow in that unit, and there was one called Yetta in that unit, will detail a couple of the young bulls to escort the baby back to the stockade hand it back to the keepers, and then the keepers will open the door, and it goes back into the junior lot. So, like, basically, the elephants are managing, they're, like, helping to manage the situation. Yeah, the, the, the matriarch keepers. orders a detail? Like, yeah. I, I just, that's nuts. Like, yeah. they, they really have their own little empire uh, within these communities, and, and they have these emotional bonds where they're coming back to see their friends and visit with them like it, it it's just how can anybody not recognize that animals are sentient and have souls right. and you Honestly, know exactly. it's, it's bananas it really is so <laughs> is then she goes on to tell this next part of the story which in my opinion is super exciting so We've learned about the communication and then the most amazing things that they have, the sort of perception they have which we can't explain. Now when we're moving elephants from the Nairobi ministry to the rehab station, every single time this happens, the ex-orphans who are now living perfectly normal wild lives come back to the stockades and wait in the compound to welcome the babies. And first of all, we thought, well, they must have picked this up from the keepers who maybe are behaving slightly differently because there's a new influx coming from Nairobi. But there has been one situation where the phone signal is very bad at the rehabilitation station in the north. We weren't able to tell the keepers that there'd been a change in plan and that the elephants wouldn't be coming on this particular day. They'd be coming on another day. And the keepers were very confused because suddenly all the ex-orphans turned up and were waiting in the yard, and it was very unusual because they normally don't do that. 
They meet the babies that are dependent there somewhere out in the bush, and they make a plan. But they were waiting in the yard, and the keepers thought, this was really weird, like I wonder why they've come back waiting. And sure enough, that day, although the keepers had no idea that new elephants were coming from Nairobi on that particular day, and although none of the four elephants had ever met the new ones that were coming, somehow they knew. Now how they knew that, I don't know. It could only be telepathy. Oof. And another great That's quote... That's pretty incredible. Crazy. Another, another great quote from Dame Daphne is, I always tell everyone it takes two years to make an elephant and only nine months to make a man. So that puts it all into perspective. they're just like us emotionally they are identical to us but they're much much better than us i love that and she tells that the truth Mm -hmm. right she tells some other heartwarming stories about how the rehab elephants will like go back out and look for an orphan that doesn't come home at night to go in the stockade and then they'll bring the baby back where it's safe and just all kinds of really incredible like fascinating touching intel about elephants and why they're incredible and possibly psychic just a fair warning in that video there's like an audience member during a question and answer segment who refers very broadly to the Asian populace as being the demographic for whom the ivory demand is very high. And while there was a demand from China that was partly fueling the ivory and rhino tusk trade back in 2012 at the time of this talk, um, that has changed since, and China has banned the ivory trade within the country in December of 2017, and as a result, demand for ivory did go down a little, but I think in general, it's like just not great that there's this lady in the audience talking about Asian people as like some kind of monolith who are fueling the ivory trade when that's obviously not accurate. <laughs> and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's not good for anyone to be broadly scapegoating Asian people for things generally, Mm -hmm. especially right now. So, yeah. I just wanted to say that. Also, on a more entertaining note, in the question and answer portion, there's a man in the audience who stands up to, like, mansplain to Dame Daphne about what he thinks of her inference that elephants could be psychic. Like, he wants her to know that he believes it was probably vibrations from the trucks, since he obviously knows more about elephants and what they respond to than a woman who has worked closely and personally with elephants in the wild for 40 years. (laughs) (laughs) At which point she informs him that, you know, trucks are in fact constantly driving up and down in Nairobi taking the Nairobi Mombasa route every day. So the elephants feel the trucks all the time. And then he argues with her about whether or not those are the same exact types of trucks as the rescue convoy uses. And he, Oh my god. He even gets all <sighs> snarky with her and uses a tone with like extra enunciation as if she is 
like must just be a stupid old lady who can't understand what he's saying. At which point right. she informs him that the orphan convoy trucks have in fact been a lot of different types of trucks because the truck supply has not been consistent out there and they've had to hire commission trucks pretty often. And then eventually they had to have a special kind of truck made. And he's like, ah, oh, just a thought. And she's like, yes. And kind of laughs at him because, <laughs> you know, it's like almost, Good. it's almost as if she's an expert in her field or something, you know? Yeah. And um, yeah. he has to have the last word. So he basically like says, Magic is unlikely. And then, like, stomps away like a fourth grader. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and then... <laughs> it's it's super entertaining, actually, because there's, like, resounding boos from the audience as he walks out oh, of the auditorium. And it's very satisfying. And then... Um, several young girls go on to ask her totally erudite, astute, productive questions, like, do you ever fear for your safety? What's a typical day like for you managing the rescue after him? Which, like, makes him look even more like a lower life form. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and also, after he leaves, she says, later, and I don't think telepathy is magic, to which, like... <laughs> Everyone in the crowd cheers. And she <laughs> says, I think there are some people that can also have telepathy. And I can promise you that the elephants have it in abundance, and so do the antelopes. The animal kingdom has the powers of telepathy. We've lost it. We probably had it in the old days, but we just don't use it now. Mm. That's that makes so much concept. sense. And mm. uh, that's like ties back into like just the comment of how far removed from nature we are yeah or like the natural yeah. cycle of things yeah so on that note i encourage everyone to visit the sheldrick wildlife trust webpage, which i will put in the show notes where you can sponsor an orphaned elephant a psychic orphaned elephant for about oh. 50 dollars a year and um Dame Daphne oh. died in 2018, I think, of breast oh. cancer, but her daughter runs the trust and everything is still operational. They are still saving elephants, and um, I just think that's a beautiful cause. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah, that's wonderful. So, uh, one of the things that you had mentioned... It brought to mind a story that I have also about um, sea creatures and, and uh, specifically dolphins in that the elephants exhibited this sort of like collective consciousness and uh, almost like a hive mind where they they just all knew that, you know, oh, today's the day, today's the day, today's the day, the orphans are coming, let's all go, okay, let's go. And, you know, they're all going or whatever. And um, a lot of the stories that I have about sea life sort of echo that. Specifically. <laughs> mm, specifically. <laughs> Sorry, I just almost fell to my death. 
Because I'm balancing on top of an exercise ball on a storage van. I knew that would happen at some point, but... (laughs) What? (laughs) (laughs) An exercise ball? Oh, well, uh, so let's start that over again. Um... So light, Merlinite, black tourmaline. And that's a choice we're making. We're saving our own lives. Truly make a better way. Fighting. But first, a message from our sponsors. Just kidding. We don't have any sponsors. But we do have a donation button on Red Circle if you'd like to help us afford our web hosting for the upcoming year. Or you can help support independent bookstores along with the podcast by making your next book purchase through our curated storefront on bookshop.org. Also, we're excited to announce that we'll be opening up a new shop on Public with some ridiculous new paranormal, witchy, and queer empowerment designs. So be sure to like and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram for updates. And if you're enjoying this episode, consider dropping us a positive review or sharing it with a friend to help us grow our audience. We deeply appreciate your support, which helps us to ensure optimal woo-to-you content in the future. And now, back to the killing. I mean, (laughs) our regularly scheduled program. We are the Mysticagal. Alpha, Beta, Gamma, Delta, Epsilon. We are the And this is segueing into our final section, which is about sea creatures, specifically dolphins, and uh, how they have exhibited a sort of collective psychic consciousness. And the report that I saw basically said that since odors are indistinguishable underwater, the hippocampus of dolphins, the region linked to their olfactory sense, diminished in size. Meanwhile, their paralimbic area grew huge, so densely jammed with neurons that it blurped out an extra lobe. The unique evolution of the dolphin brain suggests that they are doing something very sophisticated or complex while they're processing emotions. Their brains may even have adapted for a type of unprecedented connectivity. In fact, dolphins are so tightly bound to their pods that they may be operating with a degree of interconnectedness far deeper than our own. The author Casey goes on to explain that there's a jubilee of tissue packed into this area, an exuberance of gray matter that scientists believe relates to all things feeling. And no other mammal has anything quite like it. Um, Mm. So this is probably useful when uh, dolphin pods are coordinating different activities down there um, when they're, you know, (laughs) trying to get schools of fish to eat. Um, I imagine that, yeah, it is their form of communication and it is something 
similar to telepathy, if not actual telepathy. Yeah, I um, I saw a quote from Lori Marino, a neuro expert, mm-hmm. and she said that a dolphin alone is not really a dolphin. Being a dolphin means being embedded in a complex social network even more so than it does with humans. Here, here. So, like, they move kind of as a collective, which is mind-boggling. Mm-hmm. And uh, dolphins, you know, are very special, exceptional creatures because their intelligence is just, you know, on par with humans and chimpanzees. They're, like, you know one of the most intelligent types of creature. And John C. Lilly, the pioneering researcher, ketamine-taking, isolation-tank-dwelling scientist who had visions of Earth's benevolent helpers who used synchronistic coincidences to bolster human consciousness as well as visions of the impending doom on this planet due to extra-dimensional, artificially intelligent computer nasties known as the SSI, often had a foot in both realms. He was very interesting. I encourage our listeners to uh, Google him. John C. Lilly. And wow, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, <laughs> you know, he, he took a lot of drugs... <laughs> Um, you know, he kind of made the sea and space his domains, and he was known as a psychonaut or a sailor of the soul. And a lot of what he did involved work with dolphins. In fact, I think everyone knows the story of the dolphin Peter, who entered into, uh, you know, into a, you know, like a, a... masturbatory relationship with his wife, with Dr. Lily's wife, who apparently um, and, you know, we should probably do a content warning for bestiality, you know, because, like, it, although that's not what this is, well, I, I don't know. The, it's a slippery slope. Um, <laughs> it's a very slippery slope. Huh? So- when you say masturbatory, do you mean like the dolphin was pleasuring itself to the wife, the human so wife? So he I would just, I just need get, clarification. yeah, he would get, of course, he would get over stimulated by his urges and he wouldn't focus on the training exercises that uh, John Lilly's wife was doing with him. So in order for him to get over the distraction, she would relieve his tension for him by, you know, I guess rubbing him down there or whatever. Uh. So, uh, is that dedication? I'm not sure. I have something, but that is uh, something that, you know, it's definitely involvement. Yeah, it was it was definite involvement. He was he was um, noted for that, you know, the stories with his wife and the dolphin Peter, um, who apparently Peter was very very attached to the wife, very attached. And um, anyway, 
so he he studied dolphin and human communication because dolphin communication was so complex yet so seemingly close to the way that human beings spoke and understood with each other you know what they were saying and what they were trying to convey via you know whatever verbal sounds and combinations of sounds they were making and the whole goal behind that was that by bridging the communications gap between dolphins and humans you're bridging an interspecies gap that could possibly be applied toward an extraterrestrial civilization and cracking the code of their their communication so um that was you know the primary goal there and you know just kind of like um learning more about how dolphins are are so so dang smart and so dang good at communicating with each other 15 actual recording of sounds produced by a marine animal underwater You know, as with all wonderful things, dolphins' great propensity for intelligence and, you know, their extra sensory perception, their sonar abilities, they've all been exploited. So, although the Russian government denies it to this day, there is good reason to believe that during the Soviet Union days, many dolphins uh, were trained to attack enemy divers. (laughs) Now, the U.S. Navy, for its part, also trained dolphins to conduct assault missions during the Vietnam War. Um, And they still train them to do, you know, a lot of different underwater-type reconnaissance investigations or whatever you want to call them. And in fact, uh, side note, apparently one of these dolphins uh, who was training with a military officer something happened where the military officer was swimming into dangerous territory or there was something approaching and he recalls hearing the dolphin saying in perfect english watch out (laughs) so you know who knows but it's certainly possible and so these other numerous sources back to the soviet union Uh, suggests that the Soviet military dolphins had been trained to place mines on enemy ships, as well as to disable, capture, or kill enemy divers. And apparently after the collapse of the Soviet Union, some of these killer dolphins were purportedly sold to Iran, whereas others remained at the seaside port of Sevastopol in Crimea, where they flipped their military careers... For a new life of swimming with tourists. <laughs> what? So, this yeah, apparently they were no, just If I swim- paid money to swim with a dolphin and I found out that dolphin had been a trained assassin, <laughs> I'd be, like, really upset. <laughs> I would, too. Yeah, yeah. be like, you know, you could have told me about your checkered past before I decided <laughs> to swim with you. <laughs> um, 
So when Russia annexed Crimea in 2014, it vowed to rekindle the former military dolphin program at Sevastopol, which might well be the reason it's now looking to buy new dolphins to fill its ranks. So, so I don't know, but yeah, this definitely. story has really taken me to the edge. I know, I know. <laughs> I'm sorry for that. Um, All the way you know, to but- the edge. <laughs> 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 it was it was it's so much that it just a few paragraphs but um well you know the 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 thing with um the sea and the ocean and sea creatures experts have posited that over 91% of the deep sea marine life remains undiscovered to this day because there's simply no way to go that deep down there you know um in person they've sent remote control devices uh, to, you know, the depths of the Marianas Trench and to the Hadal Zone, which is literally, like, the deepest point of the ocean. But, uh, you know, this region is uh, known as an abyssal region, and it's very difficult to really survive the, the, the crushing pressure of all of that weight of ocean on you, along with the um, the cold, it's it's usually around 34 degrees, which, I mean, for me, is pretty comfortable, but, you know, most people don't like. And, um, but, ironically, it's also, like, very cold, but very hot, because there are hydrothermal vents, which shoot out, like, 700-degree water. <laughs> so you could be just swimming along, and then, boom, you're, you know, uh, your ass is grass, as they say. And yeah, uh, so a 2018 research paper by 33 scientists published in Progress in Biophysics and Molecular Biology and widely panned for being considered unscientific and ridiculous by the research team's peers, of course, suggested that the Cambrian explosion, a sudden burst of life that occurred around 540 million years ago, was the result of extraterrestrial intervention. The paper asks whether this event, which saw the rapid emergence of most of the main animal groups that still exist on Earth today, was terrestrial or cosmic. Their conclusion was the latter. Specifically, the researchers proposed the idea that alien viruses crashed to Earth in a meteor, infected a population of primitive squid, and caused them to evolve into octopuses. (laughs) <laughs> Another theory is that fertilized squid or octopus eggs were delivered to Earth by a meteor. Uh, so, what's the deal with the octopus community? Well, uh, they've influenced us for many, many years, uh, many centuries. They have carried over into the realm of fiction. Everything from krakens and giant squids to Cthulhu and Scylla and Charybdis, the Atlanteans. All of this uh, is is tied in this fascination of, uh, you know, marine life and specifically the more intelligent marine life, such as dolphins and octopuses. So uh, this research study, you know, wanted was positing that octopuses are technically aliens that um, because they're just so advanced and they're so unlike anything else that we have, you know, any other species. They have these weird tentacles, 
these huge heads with huge brains. They can make their way out of aquarium tanks with relative ease. You know, they're uh, very, very intelligent and um, very weird. And <laughs> that uh, mental acuity that they have is just something that has has made people fascinated by them. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they also exhibited some form of telepathy just in being able to suss out their surroundings and what time is safe for them to, you know, hatch their escape plans, um, which many of them often do. So, yeah. Just, I mean... They kind of are. It is totally incomprehensible to (laughs) just consider the ability that octopuses have of, you know, they're on an object... They're mm-hmm. changing their entire, not just the color of their flesh, mm-hmm. but also the texture of their flesh. Right. Yeah. To match whatever they're on. And there's no way really to understand how they are able to understand or sense what color or texture fully, you know, like what they're on top of. Like, mm-hmm. what are they next to? They somehow know that it's purple. Mm-hmm. but they're not looking at it. <laughs> so right. what are they yeah. reading? They're reading a vibration? Like, what What are they tapping into? I would call it a psychic, a psychic resonance that they are picking up on. And they're like, oh, purple, carpet, shag, so carpeting. And, and <laughs> boom. You know, I don't know why they would be on the carpet. But, well, they might be. I mean, they, they have a tendency to get... They're escaping, yeah. So um, they're just remarkable creatures. And also, like, and, having your neurons mm-hmm. dispersed through your entire... <laughs> like, your whole body is your brain type of deal. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. just so many things about it that are totally, like, just off off the edge. Off the edge that we... Off the edge. <laughs> Beyond the edge. Yeah. On a really silly note, there's a show on Sci-Fi Channel called Resident Alien, and on that show, mm-hmm. which is like a really fun show in my opinion, there is an octopus in a tank that is a somehow related species to the main character who is an alien, and they can communicate telepathically. <laughs> <laughs> it makes so much sense. I mean, after listening to this episode, it makes so much sense. I'm not surprised. I've come to expect it, you know? And I think, like, what you said with Dame Daphne, I think that a lot of different species do have uh, telepathy, and we no longer do. And um, we compensate with technology, but there's a certain bond that we could never replicate, that they still have. And maybe that's how they retain their purity of spirit. You know, they still have uh, that beautiful innocence, you know, which, um, unfortunately, life as a human kind of robs you of. But along the lines of what I was saying with um, octopuses coming by way of meteor being a theory, you know, uh, a lot of scientists do study deep sea species of marine life to kind of have a better understanding of what different extraterrestrial life forms might be like. Uh, just because they live in such inhospitable environments. It's 
very, very dark down there. Uh, so a lot of them exhibit bioluminescence so that they can see. As I said, the temperature varies. It can be very cold or very, very hot. And uh, several of these, you know, life forms just sort of swim along through it and they're not bothered. The pressure also doesn't get to them. Uh, many of them exhibit gigantism, so they grow to be very, very, very frighteningly large. And again, probably the scientists hypothesize that it's most likely due to the depth, you know, that they live in and how there seems to be a correlation between, you know, the deeper down you are and the bigger you can get probably because there aren't any predators uh, who will go down that far to get you. So you have time to evolve into, you know, a big old battleship of an octopus <laughs> or, you know, whatever. And, um, yeah, so very fascinating stuff and certainly fuel for a lot of the things that have sort of skirted over to the more woo-woo side, like cryptids, like the Loch Ness Monster, and, you know, things of that nature. Also, many of these deep-sea creatures subsist off of a process known as chemosynthesis, which is similar to photosynthesis, but instead of converting sunlight, it converts so-called dark energy which would be a lot of the chemicals that are excreted from the hydrothermal vents uh, into the sugars and substances needed to live in even the most inhospitable areas of the ocean. Um, like those volcano snails. Yeah, exactly. And they live this dark energy, which, I mean, I think sounds kind of badass. <laughs> NASA even recently, well, a few years ago, commissioned a deep sea vessel to explore areas of the Hadal Zone, uh, the deepest oceanic region, because of the similarities or the possible similarities between extraterrestrial life forms and deep sea creatures. So the one last thing I want to touch on with sea creatures and the mystery and the magic of their existence. The ocean, you know, holds many mysteries, with many unidentified audio phenomenon coming from deep-sea audio surveillance endeavors. And some of these have names. So there's one called the Bloop. There's one called the Train. And there are others, and you can find them on YouTube and listen to them. And they're really otherworldly sounding. It's like, I mean, I can't even approximate a sound. You're going to have to listen. Okay, I'll try. It's like, oh. <laughs> I can't even do it justice. You got to Google it and listen to it yourself. And it'll, it'll knock your socks off. But now, what is this? Is this some sort of psychic wave that they're capturing on this, uh, uh, you know, sound? Uh, it's creating some sort of a sound wavelength that uh, these deep sea devices are capturing? Well, we don't know is the answer. Because although people have hypothesized that it's either the sound of an ice quake or an undersea volcano... There is no definitive proof either way. It could be some sort of 
sonar-like emanation from a deep-sea creature. It could be uh, the cry of some chimera, a hybrid between an ancient megalodon and a big blue whale, or something like that. We still don't know. Uh, but what we do know is that some of these sounds, such as the blue, were captured from over 3,000 miles away from the device. So whatever making it had to have wow. been pretty substantial. And that's all I got about the ocean. Mm-hmm. Dang. It sounds like the deeper you go into the ocean, the more it becomes almost like outer space, except it's like mm-hmm. kind of spookier than outer space because there's a lot yeah. more going on. <laughs> <laughs> it is, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I the sea has always fascinated me, but simultaneously terrified me. I don't know. There's just something so mysterious about it, and so vast. Space is also incredibly vast, obviously, but something about the sea being right here, you know, it's like, you could dip your feet in it. Yeah, it's more tangible, and if you go out far enough, you just feel like you're gonna go straight to the bottom and just sink and see all of these weird large creatures and and get eaten by the sharks and uh you know it's it it's definitely frightening you know it's humbling because it is there is something so vast about it and, and just I seems to go on and on we're apex predators on land but like you plop us in the ocean and we are effed yeah oh for sure yeah absolutely yeah mm-hmm when my dad, we were lucky enough to, like, go visit my uncle in Florida, who, you know, has a boat, and we were out doing some, quote-unquote, deep-sea fishing. I don't know how deep it was, but mm-hmm. the water's so blue down there that uh can't really tell anyway. And I remember, like, we were about to, like, jump off the boat and just, like, swim around a bit, and my dad says, he goes, so what are you guys going to do if you see something in, in the water, like a shark or something? <laughs> and, I, and we're just like, I don't know, you know? Mm-hmm. And he's like, you're going to stay calm. And you know why? And we're like, because that's the thing you do. And he's like, because do you think you can outswim something that's been living in the ocean its whole life? <laughs> you were like, I was going to say, no. I was going to say, I know what and I would like, do. Pathetically so- die. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, that's essentially what he was telling us. Like, hey, you know, you're going to be effed. By the mm-hmm. way, like, if something wants to eat you, you're getting eaten. So just yeah. stay calm about it. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Yeah. Try not to upset his stomach. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yikes. And then we saw a hammerhead shark. <gasps> like, uh, right there when in When I person? was in the boat. I was back in the boat. Oh, my gosh. Oh. We were all in the boat. <laughs> Oof. Uh, which was pretty crazy because, like, I was up on like this, like crow's nest type thing, and looking down, and you know, water distorts things. But I would absolutely bet this shark was the size of the boat. It oh was, my it was god! Crazy big. Yeah, some of those sharks get to be huge. Yeah, and you do wonder if they are part dinosaur or something. Like, because mm. <laughs> it's like, how did you get to be so big? God. <laughs> oh, 
that's like one bite in your history, man. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I don't swim, I never learned, and I don't plan on it. I will not go willingly into the ocean. No, I won't do it. I think it's beautiful, but I also think it's terrifying, and I will not make a mistake. I almost drowned when I was 10. I'll not make that mistake again. <laughs> yeah, Mm-mm. I also will not go past a certain depth. In mm-hmm. the like, I just won't risk it due to, like, ties and things, but also... I have Mars in Pisces on my natal chart, which is like basically like it's like the drowning and it's and it's in the eighth house, (laughs) so it's Mm, like in the house of death. (laughs) Yeah, you should the death planet. Don't take any chances. The water sign. Um, Yeah, so I, I, I don't want to risk it. Just as, like, a little aside, I once read that whales... ...can actually, like, their clicks are so loud that Mm. you, if you're next to one while it's making a certain type of click, which can, like, travel, like, it can reverberate underwater for, like, miles... If you're next mm-hmm. to one when it does that, it can easily blow out your eardrums and or actually kill you with the vibration of the click. And God. S- and so like <laughs> knowing that it's it's I think even more amazing to think that whales are so, you know, they they try not to kill us obviously because otherwise, yeah. you know, if they wanted to they just click you to death easy. as soon as they saw you in the water. <laughs> like, yeah. they're actually being so gentle the majority of the time. Um, mm-hmm. And that doesn't seem obvious, but it, you know, when you, the more that you learn about this kind of stuff, the more obvious it becomes. And because I think whales are so incredible and deserving of so much more protection and prestige than we give them Mm -hmm. I also wanted to talk about the fact that a blue whale's heart is the biggest heart on the planet and it can weigh 400 pounds and so I just feel like you know imagine if you will the rainbow body the like energetic meridians of a whale the power mm-hmm. of a whale's heart and then mm. like matching that with what must be the power of a whale's heart chakra because if mm-hmm. your physical heart alone is 400 pounds can you imagine the aura that a that a whale has oh my god i think it god. must be it must be radiant yeah just gargantuan Mm-hmm. I whales mean, do seem also very like chill you know like they're very like I don't know the guru of the ocean they're just like wise and calm and they eat their shrimp they open their mouth and it just <laughs> all pours in and they're just like yeah I'm a whale you know what can you do not killer whales Some of them. no yeah, not killer are... whales <laughs> so orcas what's interesting is like orcas have the most 
complex insular cortex in the world. And according to whalescientists.com, that part of the brain is involved in consciousness and self-awareness, as well as processing emotions such as empathy and compassion. And most whales exhibit social and cultural structures similar to our own. And in this sense, there is no denying that practical and emotional intelligence emanates from these animals. So what's interesting to me is that orcas are like killing machines, but they also (laughs) have the most complex insular cortex in the world. So like they know more than we do, and they also kill like more you know expertly than we do and um there are all those you know if you what is that documentary called i think blackfish or something oh with telecom orcas in captivity it's easy to understand how if you take an animal that has that complex of a brain and you put it in isolation when it's designed to operate in in a group and it's designed to operate on like a higher emotional level and stuff that you would create a psychopath you know by mm-hmm. yeah you would gradually whittle away at that creature's sanity by by taking the gigantic world out of its access because they literally require the like a place like the ocean you can't exist yeah. in that state without something like the ocean you know the the like intuitiveness of the water element and all of that like in a way represents their existence on the planet and like we try to take them and like put them in different settings like theme parks natural they, settings yeah, yeah. And of course it's not going to work out. And like, they, of course they're going to murder people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, mm-hmm. I think, testament to that evolved consciousness. That, that they haven't murdered more. Yeah, that they haven't just always, <laughs> like, killed yeah. people every time. Um, yeah. And then yeah. another, like, a side note about dolphins is... This James Nestor quote, which I just found fascinating. And he says, Dolphins can detect the shape, position, and size of larger objects from up to six miles away. Their echolocation is so powerful and sensitive that it can penetrate over a foot deep into sand. It can even see beneath skin. Dolphins can peer into the lungs, stomachs, and brains of the animals around them. With all of this information, scientists believe dolphins can create the equivalent of an HD-quality rendering of objects nearby. Not only where these objects are, but how they look from the inside out. In essence, dolphins and other cetaceans have X-ray vision. Which is also kind of similar to telepathy. You're getting pictures in your mind of things. Like that literally they know what's happening inside of your body when they're next to you and inside of your brain probably they said they could see your brain they who's to say they don't see the thought pictures that are going on in another person's brain we don't know but the fact of the matter is 
there is definitely a possibility. Like, a strong possibility. Man, we are using science all wrong. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. why have we not just developed the way dolphins can, you know, see into things as a means to, like, for in the medical industry, you know? Like, we yeah. got these huge-ass MRR machines. Why have we not done better? Or, like, mammogram really machines, sure, for example. Like, Come I on. I don't know how that stuff works, but I imagine, you know, like, um, like, I don't know all the science behind an MRI machine or, like, how similar it is to any of these things, but, uh, you know, dolphins and whales have, like, a totally crazy-looking brain that can interpret all of these sounds, and, like, without that brain, I feel like it's almost like it's a totally other... It's, it's like, a different layer of reality, almost. If you can... If you can interpret a language that's made up of the kinds of noises that dolphins make, because they can't form words and things, but they can form these sounds, these, like, intricate sounds, and, like, their brains are so giant that they can understand all of that stuff and like little nuances of those things i think we just like don't like our our puny science is just like very it's just very pathetic in comparison like we Mm -hmm. we try to mimic these things but honestly like if we i mean how much fine tuning would be required to utilize that kind of technology without exploding a person <laughs> the way that like a whale can yeah. with a click in the in the sea you know like we are not responsible enough or i feel like we're not equipped well enough in order to be able to handle those kinds of technologies they do have like sonic mm-hmm. weapons and stuff and mm. um i th- I don't even think we're, like, responsible enough as a species or evolved enough, honestly, to use <laughs> to use sound in the ways that animals can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, it, would, it would automatically be weaponized, you know? And um, if they had a whale click device where they could just instantly vaporize people (laughs) Um, they would not be trying to find a way to use it constructively or let's say to you know like focus in on cancer cells and like use the whale click to vaporize those they would be thinking about well let's see how are we going to get you know this enemy of the state assassinated (laughs) yes like yeah it's you're absolutely right humans there's a reason why animals can do the things animals can do and humans cannot because we uh just on the whole are not ready for that maybe we never will be so to close us out i'd like to share this other beautiful quote from the marginalian Org. Also from The Outermost House by Henry Beston, which I personally intend to read as soon as possible because this book 
even though it's, um, I think it was published in the 1960s, but it really, I really feel like I need to read more of what Henry Beston has to say on the topic of animals in general. Uh, but for today, we'll just leave off with this one quote of his, which is, We need another and wiser and perhaps a more mystical concept of animals. Remote from universal nature and living by complicated artifice, man in civilization surveys the creature through the glass of his knowledge and sees thereby a feather magnified and the whole image in distortion. We patronize them for their incompleteness, for their tragic fate of having taken form so far below ourselves, and therein we err, we greatly err. For the animal shall not be measured by man. In a world older and more complete than ours, they move finished and complete, gifted with extensions of the senses we have lost or never attained. Living by voices we shall never hear. They are not brethren, they are not underlings, they are other nations, caught with ourselves in the net of life and time, fellow prisoners of the splendor and travail of the earth. Wow. That, that was beautiful. Was <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And on that note, beware and be well. Beware and be well. Beware and be well. At the bus stop across the street, Buddy changes hands and a person crouches down on hands and knees to be used as a chair. At the bus stop across the street, a necromancer and his acolytes attempt to open a portal to hell. At the bus stop across the street, um, and Mysteria. Unlike because, a. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Some people are performing a sex act. Just if I paid with- money to swim with a dolphin and I found out that dolphin had been a trained assassin. Uh, is it octopus or octopuses? Uh, 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 Octopi? Um, but I also know that, like, both of y'all probably have, like, a lot of content. I need some jab stick first. (laughs) (laughs) You don't need to be a psychic elephant to see that. (laughs) You don't need to be a psychic elephant to know that... This is going to be a long it's time paragraph. For chapstick. <laughs> uh, Celine, do you want to go next or should I go next? <laughs> oh, I was waiting for you to go next. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Sorry. <laughs>
the departure of their friends when they're like moved on to the rehab station. There's like a bunch of noise <laughs> happening. So unfortunately, oh my god, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yeah, okay. that sounds okay. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. Cool. Okay. Uh, muting. Okay, thanks. <laughs> but we're talking about elephants. I don't know, the guru of the ocean. They're just like wise and calm and they eat their shrimp. Come on. That like hair is pulling on my brain. Flipped. They flipped. Their military careers. This is it above my mouth, and then this is it by my mouth, and then this is it below my mouth. Don't let the dolphin stuff bite. Oh, man. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, sweet dreams like, after this yeah. episode. <laughs>